You're probably going to hate us, but we're conservative Christian moms. We're here to empower other conservative Christian moms to speak up, say what's true, and defend their children's futures. I'm Amy Alexander, and I'm the often too serious mother of twins. As always, I'm joined by Nikki River. Hey! And Candy Rose. Hi, friends! In this two-part episode, we're asking one of the harder questions. Why does evil exist? How can God be all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful, but still allow evil? This problem of evil, so to speak, plagues a lot of people's minds if they've never taken the time to really consider it. And whether you have a friend asking the question of you, or whether you've experienced something deeply painful that has you doubting God, it's an understandable and pretty pertinent question. If God loves us, he wouldn't allow evil, right? Today, we are joined by an avid listener and our first male guest, Jake. Welcome, Jake. Hey, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) Jake is the brother of our very own Candy Rose. He served three years in the Army and is a recent graduate from ODU. Jake is a self-declared nerd, love it, and definitely an intellectual. And as of January, he's now a newly married man. Woohoo! So we look forward to having his perspective. Pull up a chair. And let's discuss. Has anyone ever asked you this question specifically, guys? Yes. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I say, I since I just graduated college, we had a whole philosophy, I guess, like club discussion on this, which is what brought it up for me, which is why I wanted to talk about it, because it was a good discussion. That's interesting. It's my one of my least favorite questions when questioning friends ask, because I don't know, I feel like especially in our day and age, people don't want to hear that they're evil. So I'm just like, oh, well, God created us in his image with free will. And then because we decided to not do what he said, there's evil. And people don't like to hear that. So I'm just always like, yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. You should Google it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I feel like it's a hard question and no one really wants the answer. Really? That's the truth. Candy Rose, you hit it on the head. And I think you have to have a concept. You have to believe in God, right? Because if not, you're, if you don't believe in God, then evil is just chance and probability. And the world is, you know, sometimes good things happen and sometimes bad things happen. And it's just whatever. But then if you believe in a good God, did he create evil? And does that make him evil? It's so much. (laughs) I was just saying, I think you guys, like, I understand, but I also think it has, like, although it's a question people don't want to hear the answer to, it comes with the caveat of, like, such a positive outlook once you do look into it. Like, there's, it has the potential for such greatness because of, I I don't know, I have my thoughts on it and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I feel like it has a positive ending to the question. I hope we hear a lot. (laughs) I love it. I want to kind of start the conversation if we could around acknowledging that the Bible doesn't specifically say in a really blatant way, here is why evil is in the world. (laughs) It tells not only tells the story of a family and a chosen people, but it is designed for relationship. We live in a culture that is very knowledge information based. We look to everything for information. We expect to get bite-sized information, the snap of our finger, we can Google anything and get an answer. But the Bible wasn't written that way. The Bible was actually written in like an ancient way, which is a meditative text. So it was designed to give you only pieces of information. And the more you read, you go back and you meditate more and you get new information and you go back and you read again. 
And so it's a relationship building text. And so I just want to start by saying, like, there is an answer in the Bible about this, but it doesn't come from a single passage or something. There's not some blatant answer, right? There is an understanding of the text and the relationship God has with his people to understand the answer to this. So for me, that's an important sort of caveat. Yep. So maybe we dive first into where does evil come from? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> um, all right. I mean, from so like I said, I've had this discussion before with a bunch of essentially college students and philosophy students who are mostly atheists. So it was a really interesting discussion. But we all essentially came to the same conclusion that I liked, regardless of their beliefs, that essentially with most adjectives, in the example I used to help explain it is fast and slow, one can't exist without the other. If everything traveled at the same speed, nothing would be fast. There would be no word for fast. There would be no word for slow. Everything would just be. And by the same status, good and evil have to exist counter to each other. So when God made the universe, he had the potential to just make everything perfect in paradise. And he kind of did at the beginning. But if that's what we lived in, it wouldn't be considered good or paradise. Mm. It would just be. It would just be the status quo. So by allowing evil, he also allowed the potential for his greatness and the amazing things we get to experience both in this world and the, in the afterlife. Mm. Like if he hadn't allowed evil, none of that would be considered great. It would just be. Mm. I like I like that. And I like what Jake is saying, because um, and we kind of talked about this in our God's topic. Anything that is not for God is against God. So God made everything good. Right. The angels, the humans. And then when they turn against, when they turn away, it is the opposite of good. That makes sense. It's also interesting that he set good up in the <clears throat> very first few moments of the existence of Earth and who we are. He he sort of set up good. Like, this is good. I never thought about that before. As far as setting up, if he set up good, you know, then what's not good, you know? Yeah. Uh, I thought what Jake said on a level that is not for Christians kind of blew my mind a little bit because if you just switch the language out, it is for Christians in the sense that we cannot call God good if there is not bad. So I like that fast and slow definition. And I know we're not mm -hmm. supposed to bring it into like the problem of pain quite yet, but I've been reading C.S. Lewis' Problem of Pain to try to prepare for this, to try to like figure out, to wrap my head around this idea of evil. And what Jake said just reminded me of this. I had underlined it in the text. Until the evil man finds evil unmistakably present in his existence in the form of pain, he is enclosed in illusion. And once pain has roused him, he knows that he is in some way or another up against the real universe. So anyway, it goes on to say pretty mm. much we don't find our religion. We can't find God unless there's evil and that we discover that we're evil and then we need goodness to overcome it. So I don't know. It's just it's kind of interesting that you could say it in a way that a an atheist would understand. And it kind of means the same thing to us. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think we all did a lot of uh, C.S. Lewis. Because oh. I have a quote too, and I think Amy has one. I think we all kind of probably ran, came back to the same source. C.S. Lewis is the best. Well, he, I yeah, he and my other person would be John Piper because he's like a modern Christian hedonist. And Christian hedonism is kind of like the belief that without the evil, without the pain, without the suffering, 
we can't know God. And so it's kind of like this, we lean into pain because that's, I don't, we have like this innate feeling like something's wrong or that, and unless we're in our creator, um, we can't find goodness. So yeah, I don't know. C.S. Lewis, John Piper, all these like people who have figured it out for us. Otherwise we're just like, oh, God's good, rainbows. Then you don't need God. Right. Like that's true. (laughs) I just want to say while all of you guys were reading really like deep C.S. Lewis, I just read The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. So that's where my um, that's that's great. I love that. I just love it. Okay, I have to tell a side story. When I was in private school up until eighth grade in California, I moved to Virginia, ninth grade, freshman year at a public school and little old me. I go into an AP English course, and one of our first assignments was to uh, do like a big thing, I guess a research paper, on a non-American author. And I was like, oh, C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He's British. So I asked my teacher, hey, does C.S. Lewis count? Because he's British. It's like pretty akin to American or United States. And she was like, "Um, you know, I don't know who that is. And I was like, what do you? I'm like, you know, C.S. Lewis. I'm like, maybe she didn't hear me, you know? The next class, I'm like, hey, did you uh, look into C.S. Lewis? And she was like, no, no, I don't. But she's like, whatever, I trust you. I'm like, you know, C.S. Lewis? Yeah, like, I was like, I was like, I'm not in Kansas anymore, guys. But that's my side story. I was just so confused. Narnia, come on. I know. Doesn't everyone know Narnia? He was best friends with Tolkien, like another literary giant. You brought up an interesting point, Nikki, about we're being good or evil. Because I think when we talk about evil, we think of evil as over there. Like, or somewhere abouts, you know, like some guy who is murdering someone or in Africa, how people are starving. We so we talk about evil and suffering very similarly. You know, it's not necessarily anyone's fault, but bad things are happening. But we never talk about, OK, if God eradicated evil, what is he to do with us? Are we not do we not do bad things? Is what we do not bad enough that it's considered evil? Right. So it's like this really we forget, and I think as humanity in this conversation, we forget to be like, oh, wait, I'm the evil. Evil is in me. I'm not inherently good. When I lie to someone, that has consequences, that has other consequences, that has other consequences. When I yell at my children, when I do all these things, maybe my child's going to turn into a hateful person who beats their child. And maybe that child, after being beat their whole life, is going to turn, right? Like these have consequences that turn into what we what's unarguably evil and so we have to start there like evil starts with us if god's supposed to get rid of evil is he just supposed to eradicate all humanity or like what's the solution exactly and he did a couple times or one time at least <laughs> one time <laughs> <laughs> true i think it's crazy that people today actually believe and i know it's just it's like the narrative <clears throat> we're being taught over and over again that like we're good like we know i don't know it's just crazy to me i feel like we talked on it a little bit on our discipline podcast last week that you know we're being taught like the children really like they know who and what they are and what they need and we're like wait what right we're just like we're born good and we know all these things like what why who came up with this lie and just told it spread it around to everybody (laughs) we're good and we know everything or do you feel like we're just kind of want to be in the la la land like there's some sort of problem to sit with the knowledge of evil. So I think sometimes we put it in a box and put it away so that we don't have to, I mean, once you have to confront it, it, for me, it's really overwhelming. Like to think, because the problem of evil makes it hard for me to have faith. 
Meaning sometimes when I go down that rabbit hole, I'm like, why are there children who are sold into sex slavery and God's allowing that? And Or why are women beaten in other countries for accidentally showing an ankle? You know what I mean? Once I start down this rabbit trail, it's really hard for me to hold on to that God is good. And that's a little, I don't know, I guess that's a little blasphemous. But that's because my standard of good, when I set myself up as God, I want it to be perfect. And to be perfect, I don't think people should have free will. I guess I want everyone to behave. And that's where the radicalness of all this comes in, that he made us in his image, yet gave us choice. And then that choice, like what you're saying, Amy, impacts everybody. And then we have evil. So I don't know. I It's it's scary. I don't like it. <laughs> Jake, can you walk us through, you mentioned uh, free will, Nikki, and that is definitely a huge part of this. So, Jake, if you could walk us through, like, where does free will fit into this conversation? I mean, I always thought of it, and it's it's difficult as a mortal to wrap your mind around God and his, you know, where his thoughts are and what he's doing and why he's doing it. So, sometimes the way I see it, and I sometimes see it as probably the incorrect way, but it helps me understand it better, is that when God, you know, at the beginning, made the universe, made all the animals, made humans, like, he wanted... A relationship. A good way to think about it is that he was lonely. I don't know if that's the biblically correct way to say that, but he wanted someone to have a relationship with. He wanted us to worship him. He wanted us to love him. And so that in turn, he could love and bless us. If you see that in the same way, you see a relationship with your husbands, with your children, with anyone, your friends, your family. A relationship isn't a relationship if the other person is magically forced to be in love with you. If you gave your husband a love potion to fall in love with you, he doesn't love you. He's doing what this magic thing has forced him to do. So when God made us and he wanted that relationship with us, the purpose behind his creation, he couldn't just turn us into mindless zombies that automatically loved him and worshipped him and did everything he said. He had to give us a choice. So that when we built that relationship, it was a true, genuine, loving relationship, not just mindless zombies doing what they're told. So that's where I feel like the free will comes and it makes the relationship, the love between us real. What's so cool about God is that he exists in community because he is God, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's like triune. So he's always in, He's he exists in relationship. Hmm. So it's it's weird, but as I think about God setting up the earth, like he is the master. He's the creative relationship. Relationship exists in him inherently. So he has a really good understanding of what's required for relationship to happen. And, you know, he didn't just create us. He created heavenly beings. He created some other stuff. And so, yeah, I think it's really cool that he sort of set us aside. Like he didn't create animals to being in relationship with him necessarily. And I don't, I'm not totally solid on my theology around spiritual beings, but I think some of them don't have free will. I think it's my understanding that angels don't have free will. I think necessarily. So. I know it's confusing because like Satan, well, I was just talking to Chad about this. We did. I don't know where we landed, but the point being like he created us pretty uniquely in the way that we're supposed to have a relationship with him. Um, so that was, that was a great explanation. Thanks for that, Jake. But yeah, I, I get. Oh, no, I was going to say I, I hear and agree with everything Jake said, but I also hear what Nikki's saying. It's hard to, I think. I mean, God's perfect. What he did was good and right. But knowing that our free will comes with the cost of all the suffering and all the horrible, like there would not be horrible things in the world 
except that we do have free will and so that we have brought sin and evil into the world. Because if he had not have given us free will, none of that evilness would be here. So it's hard. That's exactly it. So I guess my view of evil is that it came with free will. I I think, I mean, do you feel like before he created us in his image? So this is, it's just so mind blowing because we're in his image. So we sort of act like him, only we're not him. We're a shadow. Yeah. We're a shadow. shadow. Yeah. But then it's so interesting because then we have free will to go against his own nature. It's just so weird. But in that moment, evil entered the world or maybe before because the snake. So it's very confusing. So did evil come before he gave us free will or was evil already there? I don't know the timeline because I was also thinking about that. I'm like, I don't know when Satan fell before or after man was created. Like, you know, it's not a very solid like this day that I mean, it is literally the seven days, but, you know, it's a little complicated. My thought was always that from the beginning of creation, he had, he he never, I don't want to say like, I mean, I guess he made everything. It's weird to say that he made evil. I feel like he made the potential for evil. Like he didn't make it almost, but even from the beginning, he was like, everything will have the potential to do good or evil. Like, I feel like he left the potential from the beginning. So when he made angels, and I don't know if all of them have free will, if some do or don't, I also don't know how that works. But when he made angels, (laughs) when he made humans... He made them all with potential. Like he didn't inherently go, all right, now go do evil. He just said there's potential. So I would assume from the creation. So the day Lucifer was created as an angel, he had the potential. And the day we were created, the very first day from then would be my guess. That's where the potential came in. And it wasn't until we acted on it that evil truly started to seep in. So let's dive into this because this is a super interesting thing. And I actually think talking about the two major atheist approaches to evil will help us get eventually to kind of some sort of settling. I don't want to call an answer, but it's like settling into something that you're addressing, Nikki. So there's two basic arguments. There's the logical argument and the probability. The logical argument is if God is all powerful, he can create anything that is logically possible. What an atheist says is if he's all powerful and all loving, then he would have created a world with free will, but no evil. But if you follow the logic, it's not possible. Can God create a rock so big he couldn't lift it? Hmm. No. (laughs) Can he create people who have free will, but only have free will to do good things? No, right? So the logical argument, even most atheists have basically said, okay, that doesn't work. It's not a real argument. And I'll link a great video that explains that. There's another great video that explains the probability argument. And this is the one that's a little more, there's some faith involved, okay? So the probability argument is that, okay, logically speaking, it's it's possible that we can't logically argue that God could not have created a world with evil if he's all loving, but he probably wouldn't. There's probably no God given the world we have, okay? and. So that all boils down to a few things. We aren't creator God. And so how do we know? Like we have this presupposition that an all-loving God wouldn't, wouldn't want to create a world where evil exists. But we don't have the full picture. We don't actually know that suffering and evil aren't necessary. We hate them. God hates them. But 
I mean, one example in the video is like when you go get your cavities filled, it's not all that pleasant, but it's for a greater good. And there's a bajillion examples like that. So I want to in a little bit, I want to dive into that idea of like, how does suffering lead us to joy and are they necessary for each other? But some of the other parts of the probability is like we haven't really um, when you talk about calculating probability, you need a lot of background information. When we take into the massive body of scientific evidence, take that into account um, for God's existence, then we come to a different conclusion than just some atheist who's like, ah, it's not probable. You're like, well, well, you have have you looked at the math? Okay. And the last one is this assumption that our the goal of our life is to be happy. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think. Mm. Right. But <laughs> if the goal of our life is actually to be in relationship with God, again, does that actually require that we have free will and require that suffering and evil exist? And is it all for a greater good? So let's talk about that, shall we? Yes. Because <laughs> to me, it's sort of the settling of the of this of the tension. Still tension. But oh, there's so many epiphanies as you're talking, like even with the cavity one, I'm like, why not just not have any cavities? <laughs> but then like, would you know that you're, would you have joy in knowing that you're blessed if nobody, if there were, I don't know. It's like, there's no good without the other. Like if you can't be happy, you never have a cavity. If it's not possible to have a cavity, I don't know. It's just too much. It's too big. My brain hurts. I would also say if God's goal is for us to have a relationship with us, shouldn't we be happy in that relationship? So it like almost isn't the goal to be happy, just not the way we think we want to be happy. Like if we're, you know, if we devote ourselves to God, and I don't mean, I don't know, because it's confusing because a lot of people are like, does that mean I get a big house and I get the dream job and all that? But I'm like, even if in your world of suffering, if you're devoted and truly with God, you should still find a certain type of joy in that. Hopefully the best kind of joy. Hmm. Yeah, it's less about creature comforts and it's more about fulfillment. It's more about like feeling that your whole purpose is being fulfilled or you're like the purpose for being here is answered. It's totally guess, different feeling. But yeah, yeah the difference point, between joy and happiness. Like maybe the goal is joy in the Lord, not happiness in the Lord. Uh, you know, they're. Yeah. Well, and even on Sunday, um, our pastor said he was quoting Jim Carrey, and I feel like we've all seen where he's like, if you had all the money that you ever thought you ever wanted, I wish everyone could get to that place because then they would see like that actually doesn't bring happiness. The lie in the world is money will bring you happiness or whatever, your future husband or there's always something, right? Like in our humanity, there's always that next thing that will bring us happiness. But yeah, really, there's only fulfillment and like joy in the Lord, really. So I was thinking about marriage, okay? So Jake, you're newly married. Yay, I get really excited when people get married. I'm like, (laughs) being married is awesome. But, okay, so we're all married. Did you get married to be happy? Or did you get married Mm -hmm. because? And some people I think the answer is yes. Some people I think enter into marriage being like, now I'm going to be happy forever. And you're like, well, no. (laughs) They'll figure it out, it's fine. (laughs) But if we're honest with ourselves deeply, like, did we get married to be happy or did we get married to be in relationship with someone? And are we choosing day after day after day to make that relationship sort of set apart and unique and special and on purpose? And I mean, even in my deeper relationships that aren't with my husband, like some of my closest friends um, over the years are people that I have had really big arguments with people that I fought through stuff with or people that I experienced horrible things with side by side. 
And now our relationship is so much deeper and so much more fulfilling and meaningful. And even though the the arguing or the suffering was hard and I, I don't love it, I wouldn't say that I regret it because it's brought us together in a really unique and special way. And that's fulfilling like nothing else is. I say, I think it's just a matter of semantics because you could say, I mean, like, in a way, you're right. I, I like, I, Not in a way. You are right. Got married for the relationship. But I would say the goal of the relationship isn't is the fulfillment, which I would still use the I would use the word happy. I would say that makes me happy. It doesn't obviously make me happy every second of every day and we have no arguments. But the fulfillment <laughs> of the relationship with my wife makes me happy and the fulfillment of the relationship with God. I just use the word happy. I think it's just a matter of semantics, but mm. however, whatever word you want to use. Mm. Well, I guess what I'm saying more is like, and you're right, that is a semantics thing. But I guess I'm saying more like if you entered into marriage or any relationship and everything was all bubbles and rainbows all the time, you would never go deep in that relationship. And so the amount of fulfillment you get out of that relationship, the amount of happy you get out of that relationship is much more shallow than if you don't do the hard stuff. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying things, guys. And now you've (laughs) brought it back to sin. Yeah. Because if we didn't have sin, our relationship with God wouldn't be as fulfilling. Yeah, that's what I hear you both saying, that we need evil. (laughs) Like, I, you have to have, I don't know. I think whether we need evil or not, we chose evil. You know, my kids, plenty of kids will say this, like, yo, well, if Eve would have just not eaten that apple, like, well, we all actually would have done that. Like, it was, Mm -hmm. if Eve did it, but literally everyone on earth also would have done it. Like, that is the point. We're all evil. We We've all made the choice to bring sin into the world, no matter how good you are. It's interesting. I keep going back to this, but that we're made in his image. And yet we choose not him. Did I say that correctly? Grammatically? Like, if I don't know if he if we're made in his image and therefore we're it's so weird. We're made in his image. Therefore, we act the way that he acts but then we're given free will and then we choose not to. I know I keep saying this, but it hurts my brain to think about why do we choose? Why do we choose the wrong thing? Like if God, okay, you posted something in the our podcast Instagram and it was Jackie Hill Perry saying that we set ourselves up kind of as gods when we declare what is good, but only God can say what is good. So why do we, if God says, don't eat that apple, and why do we look at the apple and say the apple's good when God said the apple's not good? <laughs> well, he never said it wasn't good. He said, don't eat it. Ah, okay. Oh. So <laughs> this is so interesting, you guys. And also, Jake, I see you have a note that you talked to like a doctor in philosophy on the logical argument. I'd love for you to, I want to circle back to that. But if you listen to the Bible Project, there's a really amazing series on the firstborn. I think a lot of, I think both of you are doing yes. it, Jake. I highly recommend it. But in this firstborn series, the concept is this. Even from the first creation, God has been uplifting the latecomer or the secondborn or the one that was less. And it has created a sense of, for the firstborn, the person who thinks they deserve it, a sense of like, uh, hello, like that's mine. And it has caused us to over and over reach for things that don't belong to us or that, and like, there's not, how do I explain this? So for instance, I'm not going to talk about Satan, the snake, and Adam because that's the very first one, but it's really complicated. So I'll talk about Adam and Eve and the apple. So when Adam 
uh, when God created the Garden of Eden, he said, you can eat anything but this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And the snake came and said, oh, God doesn't want to have you like God doesn't want to give you the knowledge of good and evil. He's keeping that from you. But you deserve that. You deserve to be like God. You need to eat from that apple. And so they reach out and take what God did not give them. But one of the things Tim Mackey says is he this is not like an official belief, right? But he thinks that it's very possible that God always intended to give them that fruit at some point. Oh. He, there's a ton of proof throughout the entire Bible in this firstborn series that God always intended to give the firstborn everything, they, all the blessings and everything. The blessing of Jesus and salvation and, and who God is, is for everyone. And that was always going to be for everyone. But as humanity, we don't trust in God's timing or his blessing. And so we reach out and take it. So in my mind, that's kind of the answer to that question is we, from the beginning, we're always like, it's not so much that we saw that it was good and God said it was bad. It's that we said, well, I want it now. And God was like, well, no, not yet. I know the best timing for you. And we were like, nah, no, we want it now. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He made the tree. You'd think if he didn't want you to ever have it, he wouldn't have made it in the first place. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, what's the point? Also, they mentioned like if, if we were supposed to have dominion over the whole earth, we would at some point probably need the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. How are we supposed yeah. to rule all of earth without that knowledge? Mm. Eventually, maybe. We needed it. I don't know. But now we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about your conversation about the logical argument, Jake. Okay, so I mean, it was also at school. It was in the same like club. And the dude in charge was a doctor in philosophy. And he would mostly like let us just talk. And like I said, everyone there, and I believe himself included, was, I think, atheist. I think I there was one other person that like was noticeably a Christian, like kind of sometimes felt awkward in some of the conversations. I think everyone else was an atheist. Which made I feel like the point's really good because then you're like, all right, I'm seeing it from other people's perspectives. So essentially with the paradox thought, and this was just one conclusion that we came to is obviously just a group of us, was that like, if God can do genuinely anything, then who's to say he can't make a paradox? We just wouldn't be able to wrap our minds around it. Like he may have an answer to it. And if you tried to explain it to us, we simply can't comprehend because we can't comprehend what God can do. We can't comprehend the secrets of the universe. And so by that same token, maybe in this world with the good and the evil, he made it the perfect way. And we're doing exactly what we're doing right now. We're trying to wrap our minds around it. But we may never be able to truly comprehend it. He's God. He obviously did something that we can't understand. And we never will fully understand everything. Or I, maybe one day when we get to heaven, we somehow we'll magically unlock it. I don't know. But right now, we can't fully understand it. Which these thoughts, okay, so this is to throw another wrench in it. I think I put this in our chat with the girls and our friend Laura, who also listens to the podcast. How do how does this um, state of free will and propensity to evil end once we get to be with the Lord? <laughs> That's been my newest thing. If we if the angels who are in His presence all the time fell, and then we fell. And then there's a plan to bring, oh, there already is a completed plan to bring us back to glory, which is Jesus who died for all the sins. Where well, is it going to end? <laughs> that's a good question. I would argue we're not the same as the angels. And even though I know it says in the end, he'll give us new bodies. I don't think, I don't know. I, I think there must be a difference, right? Between the angels or the the Elohim, as we have talked about. I, 
I think it will be different when we're in his presence all the time. I think we will not have any choice but to awe at his glory. And I don't know why that's different for the Elohim or the angels. I just think it will be different for us. Oh, my gosh. I just had an epiphany because even in the garden, we weren't with him all the time. He had to go away sometimes. And that's why we had time to eat the fruit, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it, it's like the uh, the parable of the son who runs away and essentially spends all his money and loses everything and comes back. Hmm. When we do get to paradise, when we do finally get there and we're ascended into new bodies and everything, like we'll be able to, I don't want to say appreciate it, but like having gone through life, having experienced evil and all that, there'll be no curiosity. We won't be like, well, what what happens if I don't listen to God? We'll like, I don't, mm, that thought will just be good. long gone. We'll have experienced, you know, 80 years of what happens. And now we know that when we're there, regard, like, I don't know, maybe we won't have a choice, but we won't want a choice. We'll be like, no, we're good. This is perfect. Leave it just like this. I want to experience paradise now. Oh, that's good, Jake. That is good. I was actually just talking about this with someone last night, but I'm constantly wondering to myself, how come I can't like live in the same town as all my best friends who live all over the world that I love, that I want to live life with? How come when I send my children off to their Gigi and Pabos for the night, I'm like missing them. But when they're here, I'm like, oh, I need a break. <laughs> like, <laughs> how come it's never, how come I'm never content, right? We all live in this state of like, we're always torn between two existences. And then I think about oneness with God and all those many times that Jesus says that really hippie thing about like, I am one with the Father and he is one with me. And then if you are in me, then I, you are with the Father because the Father's in me. And I'm like, you know what I'm talking about? He's con He basically is talking about oneness, which is, again, so hippie and trippy and it weirds me out. But it makes me think of of this like everything all at once feeling. It's like fully integrated, not bound by time or space. Existence that is, you're you're always with the people you love, and yet you always have the space you need. You're always one with God, and yet you have free will. You're always like, it's this really crazy, it is kind of paradoxical, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I have no idea if that's what it'll be like. But that's what it makes me think of. I hope so. That sounds wonderful. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So next week... We're going to bring Jake back and we're going to talk more about the link between suffering and joy. We're going to talk about, okay, if God knew all this was going to happen, why the heck did he just create us anyway? <laughs> all those more deep questions. So far, this has been a really, really interesting conversation. Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. But until then, you're going to hate us, but you're going to love us. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>